Good day, my friends, and it is my pleasure to bring you another moment, a Black History Moment with Bo. And I hope life brings you nothing but pleasure throughout this bright, sunshiny day. I have got to admit that it is great seeing college football back on the TV again especially seeing that HBCU game I was privileged to watch yesterday. Now, don't get me wrong. I am an Ohio State fan, 100%. I cannot even begin to tell you when I have missed an Ohio State football game. But I am also partial to HBCUs. And I think if there was an HBCU game and an Ohio State game being played at the same time, I would be in a turmoil. Or I would be like my cousin Mike in Columbus, sitting in front of the TV with the remote in my hand and flicking back and forth so much I could not tell who did what. But it's all good. And if you should happen to be a first-time listener, my advice to you this day is to buckle up because I am about to bring you in the next few minutes a rough ride. But in the end, your mindset will be exactly where it needs to be. Powerful people cannot afford to educate the people they oppress. Because once you are truly educated, you will not ask for power. You will take it. Carol Anderson, in her book White Rage, argues that the trigger for white rage inevitably is black advancement. It is not the presence of black people that is the problem. Rather, it is blackness with ambition, with drive, with purpose, with aspirations, and with demands for full and equal citizenship. It is blackness that refuses to give up. But the truth is that despite all of this, a black man was elected president of the United States the ultimate advancement and thus the ultimate affront. Perhaps not surprisingly, voting rights were severely curtailed. The federal government was shut down and more than once, the office of Obama's presidency was shockingly, openly and publicly disrespected by other elected officials. Do you remember when whiteness openly called Obama a liar in the middle of his speech to the nation? He would have never done that to whiteness. What black people fail to realize is that they saved this country in the last presidential and U.S. Senate elections from becoming fascist. 
What black people also fail to realize is that voter suppression is now at the top of the Republican Party agenda. What Republicans witnessed and what they are now threatened by is the result of black people coming together and placing their votes in unity. You cannot kick a hornet's nest and not expect retaliation from the hornets. In fact, you should have a plan in place for the retaliation from the hornets before you even plan on kicking the nest. Anti-blackness is a complex and confusing stew of resentment and benevolence, for they also use blacks to feel warm-hearted and noble, and they are drawn to those who cast their eyes downward in their presence, the ones they can save from the horrors of their black lives with their abundance of kindness. Now, consider, for example, the movie The Blind Side. Now, this was a, this was a popular movie, and Sandra Bullock received an Academy Award for it. The movie was a true story that was based on the story of a family, the Tuies, who rescued Michael Orher, a black man who came from impoverished family circumstances and who went on to become an NFL player. And although the movie was popular with white audiences, many problematic racial narratives are re-inscribed in the film. As a matter of fact, there are no black characters who do not reinforce negative racial stereotypes. And O'Hare himself is portrayed as a childlike gentle giant who lives in abject poverty. Sprinkled in are his drug-addicted single mother with multiple children from unknown fathers, the incompetent welfare worker, the uppity lawyer, and the menacing gang members in his drug-infested, crime-ridden neighborhood. In one scene, O'Hare returns to his former neighborhood. As he walks down the street, he is surrounded by a gang that tries to intimidate him. Why he considers his limited options, Mrs. Tuhi arrives and confronts the gang members, who quickly back down and retreat to the rescue. Rescued by Mrs. Tuhi, O'Hare is returned back to the safe white suburbia. And you know what? The scene makes it clear. The only way O'Hare could be saved from the terrors of his own black community is through the benevolence and bravery of a white family. In the film, white professionals discuss O'Hare as if he were developmentally disabled. He certainly comes off as such. He is passive and inarticulate throughout the movie. And the teachers state that his IQ is in the bottom percentile in ability to learn, but in the top percentile in protective instinct. Now I ask you, my friends, what the hell is protective instinct? I have never been unable to find evidence of this bizarre measurement. It is highly problematic that O'Hare, 
as a black male is portrayed as severely lacking in intellectual abilities, but exceptional in something instinctual. His limited intellectual capacity is reinforced throughout the movie. For example, when the youngest child of Tohi's household has to teach O'Hare how to play football. And what the film says is that O'Hare is never able to understand the rules of the game. So Mrs. Tohi appeals to his protective instincts by telling him to pretend one of his new white family members is going to be hurt. Once his instincts are engaged rather than his intellect, he is unstoppable on the field. Now, my friends, here is a real particularly insulting scene. The white child who tried unsuccessfully to teach O'Hare how to play football sits at the table negotiating a contract for him with powerful adult white males while O'Hare sits in the background, muted. The film, told from white perspective and enthusiastically received by audiences, reinforces some very important dominant ideologies. Number one, white people are the saviors of black people. Number two, some black children may be innocent, but black adults are morally and criminally corrupt. White people who are willing to save or otherwise help black people at seemingly great personal cost are noble, courageous, and morally superior to other whites. Individual black people can overcome their circumstances, but usually only with the help of white people. Black neighborhoods are inherently dangerous and criminal. Virtually all blacks are poor, incompetent, and unqualified for their jobs. They belong to gangs, are addicted to drugs, and are bad parents. The most dependable route for black males to escape the inner city is through sports. White people are willing to deal with individual deserving black people, but whites do not become part of the black community in any meaningful way beyond charity work. Now that, my friends, is true whiteness racist thought. And are you really going to tell me that Hollywood could not see this when this film was being produced? Of course they could, but it didn't matter. And of course, O'Hare also brings redemption to the whites who save him. At the film's end, Mrs. Tohi, a Christian claiming she was God's will that this boy be saved presumably because his talent on the field made him more profitable and thus valuable to white people. The Tuis, of course, are the good whites who have to deal with the prejudice of the individual bad whites 
they encounter at the country club and other places. This film is fundamentally and insidiously anti-black. White people raised in a Western society are conditioned into a white supremacist worldview because it is the bedrock of our society and its institutions. Regardless of whether a parent told you that everyone was equal or the poster in the hall of your white suburban school proclaimed the value of diversity or you have traveled abroad or you have people of color in your workplace or family, the socializing power of white supremacy cannot be avoided. The messages circulate 24-7 and have little or nothing to do with the intentions, awareness, or agreement. So I give this message to whiteness. Stopping your racial patterns must be more important than working to convince others that you don't have them. You do have them, and people of color already know that you have them. Your efforts to prove otherwise are not convincing. And I hope to bring language to the emotional structures that make true discussions about racial attitudes difficult. For people of any race or ethnicity, humility is a key attitude in the work of racial justice. It takes humble honesty to consider one's shortcomings and still pursue the work of fighting racism. Humility allows new information to correct old ideals and leads us into better ways of loving one another. My friends, I can almost hear the clicking of the sin buttons as the hate mail is directed to my computer. But you know what? That's not going to stop me because I told you before, activism is my rent for living on this planet. And I shall pay my rent as long as I'm here. So that music tells me, Bo, it's time to shut it down. But before I leave you, my friends, I will leave you with this message. You will always have people who love you because you are you. And you will also have people that hate you for the same reason. Until next time, it's been my honor. <laughs>